hello, uh, I'm Mino Schillings, the co-founder of The Green Sprint. Um, we are all about sustainability and innovation. And we focus all our efforts on building an inclusive, fair and sustainable world, not only for us, but also for the next couple of generations. And you are listening to the Dallas Design Sprint podcast. Let's start off our conversation by talking about everyone's favorite topic, sustainability. Tell me a bit about your work with Design Sprints and how you're using that process to tackle sustainability issues. Yes, yes, of course. I've been familiar with Design Sprints and design thinking for a couple of years already. So many, many companies and organizations apply them to problems. And it was often said, like, you can apply Design Sprint or use Design Sprint to solve any kind of problem or at least a lot of different problems, but I didn't see many organizations apply it to social and sustainable challenges. There were some nonprofits that were doing it, um, and then they asked a group of volunteers to join them for a week and uh, tackle certain challenges. Uh, what happened then is that you had awesome ideas at the end of the week and awesome solutions, only then all the volunteers went back to their daily, uh, their daily jobs and actually nothing really happened with those solutions. So it's like, okay, it works to tackle social sustainable challenges. That is definitely a way you can use it. Only it is important that you actually use it with the companies. So the companies, you know, with companies, so companies can actually apply it. Because otherwise, uh, what are you doing it for? If, if nobody apl um, applies and implements the solution, um, then you can't really make any impact. And for us, um, the most interesting part, why we want to use design thinking and design sprints to tackle sustainability challenges is that they are human-centered innovation techniques. So at every step of the way, you put the human in a spot and you consider um, human beings and the user experience and everything. Whereas um, focusing on focusing on, on sustainable, the sustainable transition and sustainable innovation, often there is only a lot of talk about technological innovations and technological solutions or technological solutions are awesome, they're not a silver bullet. They're not going to change everything. They will not solve all our problems. And if we don't change the way we live on this planet and our behavior and the way we look at certain things, then we can have all the technological innovations we want, but that's not going to be enough. Therefore, human-centered innovation is very interesting uh, because you can actually consider and look into how you can change human's behavior in a more sustainable direction and how you can help people to make better and more sustainable choices because at the moment to make sustainable choices is almost like you have to be a stability professor it's really hard we're actually working on a jargon buster at the moment and we tried we we started working on this after we got some traction on the linkedin post and people said yeah okay yeah sustainability is such a fast topic and it's so complex and it's so it's so much. Um, so you're like, okay, we'll just make a cheat sheet. It's almost a cheat book now. And that's, that's not how it should be. Sustainability and sustainable choices, um, making sustainable choices should be accessible and doable for everyone on a daily basis. And to actually achieve that human-centered innovation and human-centered design is very important. 
because it's a way how you can figure out okay how can we get this into the daily life of people so that's why we use the design sprint and design thinking met uh, methods and actually a lot of other innovation methods and innovation processes and creative thinking techniques because you have to go quite beyond that uh, the original design sprint of course was focused on other type of uh, issues not per se environmental or, or sustainable. So we tweaked a little bit and we added certain tools and techniques and depending on who we're working with, uh, we will need to add different tools. You can think, for example, like a life cycle analysis where you really dive deep into what's the environmental or social impact of your product on every step of the way, cradle to cradle. Uh, you can think about a systems thinking exercise where you really take the team and really dive deep into, okay, what is the impact of this everywhere? How far does it does it ripple? Um, and there are many tools that you can add to the design sprint to make it more focused on tackling social and sustainable challenges. For those that, who are unfamiliar with human-centered innovation, can you give some examples? Yeah, of course, of course. Um, for me, the most important thing with human-centered innovation is that you consider humans and human <laughs> human beings and their behavior at every step of the way, step of the way. So when you start exploring, you look into okay, how do customers use this product or use this service? Uh, what doesn't work? What does work? What do they bump into? You're not going to ask them. You're going to actually ex explore with them or um, look how they are doing this. For example, if you are innovating a uh, bathroom material or a bathroom product instead of asking them for their routine you just sort of follow or uh, observe how their toothbrushing routine in the morning um, goes and you do this at every step of the way so with the exploration phase and in the um, when you're going to brainstorm new solutions um, you actually ask experts for their for their input and their um, get their knowledge um, you look at the complete map of stakeholders everybody what is important for them um, when do they encounter this problem when do they work with this with this product or this service uh, how does it make them feel etc etc and you do this as well in the prototype phase and as well at what you at the end so every time you do not ask them, would you like this? Would you actually observe and test and really, um, really consider them, which sort of helps, or not sort of, it really helps, <laughs> building products uh, that you can implement in the real world, not products that sound awesome on paper, but the moment you put them on the shelves or the moment you implement or launch that service, nobody wants because it's not the right timing, not the right product. It doesn't really solve the issue you want to solve. One of the examples I really, really love is um, of a company called Mobisol. Um, and they did, a, it's a design thinking. It's a longer process, not just a, not just a week. Um, they really looked into how do their, uh, they, do their products work in the real world. So what they wanted to do is they wanted to uh, give certain villages in uh, in Africa, um, renewable energy. Um, they wanted to bring energy there consistently because there was renewable energy in the form of solar panels. 
uh, but they always broke down and it never worked. And um, that wasn't because the solar panels weren't good, but it was because the companies that were working there so far didn't consider uh, how those solar panels were used once they got installed. So Mobisol went on and they did explore, okay, what is important? What do these people want? For example, they expected them that they wanted to just have the energy for a TV or a radio, but it turned out that they actually wanted a radio and a TV and a computer and to also charge their phones. So they needed a bit more, so there were bigger solar panels needed. The solar, panel, solar panels broke down, so you needed someone to take care of them, which wasn't there at the moment. Um, they found out that a sense of ownership helped um, with keeping the solar panels um, life longer because people took more care of them when they had the feeling that they were theirs. And there were all of these small elements that over time, they just kept going back, iterating, looking at, okay, how does this solution now work in these villages? And then they improved upon what they saw and how people actually use their products. And in the end, they managed to uh, roll out quite successful um, renewable energy uh, system. They educated people on the ground to um, prepare the solar panels. They make big solar panels so people could start businesses around them. Um, they, um, they had people, no, you know, not they had people maintaining it, but they had ownership over the panels. So they could pay them slowly over a period of a year instead of just having them on the roof. Um, so that gives them a sense of ownership. Um, so all these things helps with like smoothing out all the issues. And this was all based upon how the people handled the products and not directly on the quality of the solar panels because that was good to start with. And I think that's a great example of how really implementing a product, it can help so much if you just look at what humans be, human beings will do with it. And for me, that is why human-centered innovation is so vital, especially in the sustainability transition, because we need to do it correctly and we can't simply cannot waste resources on products that will not be used, will be misused or timed wrongly or don't really solve the problem. For me, human-centered innovation is just a very logical way. The example you gave sounds like you're including a, a bit of system design as well beyond the initial idea because of the all of the different people that need to keep it working, the solar panels, the system itself. Do you find that the implementation phase of whatever the idea is that comes from a design sprint relies on some sort of service design or system design to maintain itself over a period of time? Actually, in many cases, I think that, yes, a system design and system thinking is very important. Everything is connected. Um, so considering this is, is vital, absolutely. And if you do not, um, it can sometimes have very negative consequences if you don't consider the whole system and the impact of it as well. Um, because maybe there were like indirect um, people involved or um, in this product or in this service that you didn't consider because they're not your direct stakeholders or they're not in the first circle of your system. Um, but they did have a negative, they can have a negative, um, can experience negative consequences from um, 
from your product or from your solution. Uh, there, are, there are solutions, examples of solutions I, I will not mention because I don't want to like um, have give any um, um, bad explanation about anyone, but there are a couple of products, examples of products that the solution sounds great at first glance. It's, it's awesome and it really solves the problem. And it is really something we need, but if you dive a bit, a bit deeper and if you really consider and take the systems thinking approach to it, um, they actually break down ecosystems. They're destructive. They have negative consequences for either people, planet, or, or profit, or complete um, environmental ecosystems that just crumble because of one well-intentioned solution. Um, I think the best, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but the best of example and a strong example of how everything is connected is the uh, little documentary, um, How Wolves Change Rivers. I want to go into it completely, but if you haven't watched it, I would definitely recommend to, uh, to look it up because um, wolves can actually change complete ecosystems and complete environments. There was, an, a, there was a situation in America, I think it was Yellowstone, where they reintroduced a wolf in the national park. And in a, in a matter of a couple of years, the rivers changed their flow because of the reintroduction of wolves. And that really just shows, um, the, the documentary really just shows how every tiny bit is connected um, to the others. So this was, for example, the wolf, the wolves killed certain other animals and those animals stopped grazing. And because they stopped grazing at certain areas, they uh, reflourished. Um, the trees got shorter because there were less trees and shorter. Um, no, the trees got taller, but there were less trees. Because of that, um, there was more erosion. Because there was more erosion, the the rivers changed its flow. And um, this is not only with wolves and nature parks, this is with everything. So yeah, taking a systems approach, actually in implementing, I would always say consider it because you might have missed things that you don't want to miss. I'm going to change direction and go with design sprints for a second. One of the main criticisms of the design sprint process is that everything, and you mentioned this before, is kind of done in a vacuum where people do the work and then there's nothing that happens afterwards. How does a focus on human-centered innovation change that dynamic? Yeah, you can say that that is one of the criticisms of this design sprint, but I think it's also the strong suit. Not that it happens in a vacuum, but that you do it in such a short amount of time and really together so everyone really understands where a solution is coming from. And so if you do that with companies, um, that really helps a sense of ownership and, and with that as well, um, in, increased implementation possibilities because if people have the feeling that they own the idea or that they really contributed to the idea, the likelihood of them putting an effort in to actually make it happen is a lot bigger um, than if they do not. I would say that um, the human-centered part of it, I think actually really helps in implementing it and going beyond with it because you see the impact potential in real life. You can actually see how it can improve people's lives. You can actually see what the opportunities are. You had a person opposite of you with a, with a problem um, 
And once you are emotionally attached to this problem, you want to solve it. Um, so I think human-centered innovation helps that it helps to um, close the gap um, between building products and the real world. Um, so in that sense, I would not say that. Actually, I don't really agree with that. You should do the design sprint in a vacuum. So that would, that would be the opposite way of how I would do it, of how I would go about it. I'll get you in touch with those people, and you can uh, yeah. you can have a prolonged and a protracted conversation with yeah, them. Yeah, please do. Yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> So what are the top sustainability issues you would tackle using the design sprint process? Oh, wow. Uh, there are so many. Um, there are so many. There's so much in this world that we're doing inefficiently. Uh, so for me, it mostly, I'm very interested in food and mobility, uh, food mobility and fashion, actually, because they all have huge impact and they are really um, the things in life where people on a daily basis make certain choices. So if you can help people to make more sustainable choices, for example, in their food pattern, um, you are putting that sustainable mindset and that I have to make a sustainable choice on a daily basis in their, in their mind and in their behavior. Um, same with mobility. That's a choice you make on a, on a every day, on a daily basis. And actually uh, the same with fashion. You choose what you wear. And these are all also top polluters and they come as well with a lot of packaging which leads to the the plastic problem and as well to um yeah a lot of co2 emissions and pollution in general um there are all there are already a lot of solutions and business model out there for example like a product as a service or um yeah circular industry circular economy um Secondhand, um, using secondhand clothing or secondhand products in that in general. Uh, the challenge is how do we get people to use these? There are many, many mobi um, shared mobility um, solutions around the world, and there are still a lot of people who prefer riding a car and owning a car. So there, we need a mindset shift. We need to rethink why we want that car. We need to rethink why we want to own certain pieces of clothing, why we want a new wardrobe every um, season. Um, why do we want to eat meat on a daily basis? Um, why do we have a sort of the feeling that secondhand clothing is less or uh, not as fashionable? So a lot of these things are rethinking and communication issues. But if we can manage to help uh, people change their behavior there, that can have a huge impact. So I would say it's mostly those things. There are other interesting topics, for example, like renewable energy, um, building, helping people to uh, choose more sustainable building materials, uh, any of these things. Uh, are actually, yeah, they're all pretty interesting, but they're all focused on people making choices, people, the behavior of people. So not per se technological innovation. It can be that we move in that direction, uh, 
but it doesn't have to be because I think there are so many smart people around the world. If you think of it, if you come up with it, there is someone who probably can build it from a um, technological angle. Do you think leadership is influential in the adoption of those different behaviors? And if it is, who do you feel leads that conversation? Absolutely. Um, I mean, there are many different types of leadership. You have governmental leadership, leadership within businesses, leaderships even within houses. I think it's, it is it is absolutely uh, vital that leaders take a certain stand, although it's not the only way. Top-down is absolutely a way to go, but bottom-up also works. And if within companies, employees or within countries, citizens start demanding um, certain changes or um, certain adaptations of systems we're using at the moment or policies or anything like that, then um, leaders kind of have to follow in that, yeah, leaders kind of have to follow in that sense. Um, for me, I don't really want to wait for leadership, uh, especially governmental leadership, because I think we have to take action ourselves right now. Um, although within companies, you kind of need buy-in from your leaders. Uh, you need buy-in from the CEO or from the manager or the product owner, because otherwise you can go through a whole innovation process wanting to implement it and then the product owner or the CEO just says, nope, that's not the way we want to go or that is not our of our interest or it doesn't go with our KPIs or our stakeholders are not going to like this. Um, although I think leaders around the world, the CEOs around the world are seeing the increased importance of action on sustainability. And if you want any place in the future as a politician or a CEO, at some point, you will have to go with the sustainable transition because it's, go it's just going to be an unstoppable demand around the world. And if you don't go with it, you're just sort of putting yourself out of the game. Speaking of unstoppable demand around the world, let's get into the origin of the Green Sprint and what that's all about. So I've, I've heard Plenty of rumors around how that started and what it's all about. So since you're the, one of the co-founders, maybe you can explain how it came to be and what the, the purpose of the organization is. Yeah. Wow. Rumors. <laughs> yes. Um, so we started the Green Sprint uh, in February. And indeed, uh, one of the co-founders, uh, Pamela, is uh, the other co-founder. She also participated in the GVDS this year. Um, Actually, I have been playing around with the idea of starting an innovation studio or anything focused on design thinking, design sprinting for a couple of years. A couple of years ago, I started in my first innovation studio back in when I still was in my bachelor and I was 22. I was a little bit too young to start something like that. And I realized, okay, I need some more, uh, I need some more knowledge. I need some more information. I want to know more about this before I really start. So I unregistered my company and I registered for a master in creativity and innovation at the Edward de Bono Institute in Malta. And um, when I was at the Edward de Bono Institute, I actually became very interested in a certain type of living called digital nomadism. Um, so I decided to do my master thesis on digital nomadism. And 
for that reason, I was in a conference focused on nomadism and I was sitting on the floor next to a very big um, paper sheet on which I had um, written a brainstorm session that I had the night before um, under the pleasure of a couple of glasses of wine. I was uh, brainstorming with someone and got very excited. And um, I was sitting next to that paper and Pamela walked up to me and at that point I've never met her before. And she walked up to me and she asked, what is that? And I explained it to her and she looked at me and was like, hmm, that is, sounds like something I have wanted to do for years, but never could really put under words. So I left the conference. I spent two months exploring this, uh, exploring this business idea, um, coming up with a name, building a website, building the proposition. And I, uh, I called Pamela. I was like, okay, check out this URL. Uh, do you want to join? Um, she was completely up for it. So that's when we started building the Green Sprint. And our aim actually is, um, so now we are with two people, but the aim is to really become a collective, a collective of, uh, of people that are passionate to make sustainable change happen by using any type of design and methodology. So not per se, only the design sprint can also be design thinking, creative, other creative thinking exercises, lateral thinking exercises, um, systems thinking, basically any type of thinking. We really believe that we need to rethink a lot of the products and the services and the systems we have in the world right now. So what we do is we offer um, those hands-on processes um, for rapidly, hence Sprint, uh, solving big sustainability um, and impact challenges. Um, and we want to do this globally because we are in this together as a world. This is a global uh, challenge we are facing. And if I am solving a problem here for an organization, that could be well be that another organization um, can really benefit from those insights, um, could implement a similar solution, uh, or could be very interested in collaborating. So we sort of want to create a network or a net of um, yeah, sustainability adventures, people really passionate about sustainability and innovation, and just cross-sectoral, cross country, international, keep exchanging knowledge and insights and with that really accelerate a sustainable transition. Um, and that is how the Green Sprint actually yeah, came to existence. It's almost a year ago now. And um, so far we have most based, mainly actually worked uh, with NGOs and social enterprises, which is interesting because we want to work with profit-driven companies because that is really where we think the most impact can be made uh, because it's fun to work with NGOs and social enterprises because they are trying to do the right thing. They're often really fun people, um, but they're already doing a quite a good job. And the biggest impact is not from made from perfectionizing what, are, what is already pretty good. The biggest impact is made from really Disruptively, disruptively changing what at the moment is just not going the way it should be uh, should be going. Um, yeah, if you want to make impact, you just have to change the things that really suck right now. Um, so yeah, that's why we want to we want to work with uh, yeah with the profit driven organizations where we really can really can make a change. So if we're talking at the same time in 2021, December 2021. What does the green sprint look like now after a year of growth or a year of change? Where do you see the company? Mm -hmm. 
I hope by then that we have grown into a collective of uh, multiple people, I would say in five or 10 different countries, and that we exchange knowledge between those, between those people. And um, that by then we have figured out um, what we want to do with like to become more of a social, not a social enterprise, but more in that direction. Um, for example, doing sprints uh, pro bono um, for organizations that can't afford it, or really do having some more disruptive ideas of, okay, this is a sustainable innovation collective. How can we go beyond just facilitating innovation? Can we also set this up in a way that we really can impact um, quickly, for example, I don't know, can go in different directions. I'm just uh, shooting ideas here, using certain parts of, their pro of our profit for, to go into impact investing or to set up a shark tank focused on the sustainable transition um, or help other startups to um, go into the sustainable direction straight away. Uh, there are so many things we can do. Um, we just want to look beyond just being a um, sustainability collective. And it would be awesome if we really change some things that sucked. And if we find a way as well to track what we change, track our impact. So I briefly touched upon life cycle analysis, uh, briefly. Um, so life cycle analysis is focused on the product or a process, but of course, um, you could also do an, a, a company analysis, we like, like to call it like a green screening, and really see, okay, yes, a company, in every step of the way, what impact do we make? Negative, both ne negatively and positively. So negatively, maybe once in commuting or anything, or like if we fly somewhere, and positively, um, what impact are we generating with our with our stakeholders uh, and with our clients? It's very important to get insights in that as well. There are so many ways you can go. Actually, it's 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 amazing. So is there anything missing in a sort of effective ecosystem of innovations for sustainability? Is there some element that's lacking right now that you think needs the most attention? Oh, oh, that is a big one. I think that really depends in every in every case. Like for example, if you if you look if you have a look at like um, corporate cultures, that um, is what sometimes is lacking is either uh, the feeling of purpose or maybe. Uh, an innovation culture that is suitable for actually have like, like implementing innovations and increasing the adaptation of innovation. Um, so depending on what you look at, a lot of different things actually can be lacking. Um, what is lacking the most, I would say, is the ability to systems think, to see the bigger picture, to look long-term to really understand our actions and the consequences of our innovations and our impact. We human beings just tend not to be long-term thinkers, but at this point we kind of have to, because otherwise we are going to take away so much from the next generation. It's basically robbing them, um, which, you could say, hmm, that's their problem. I'm just going to focus on what I'm doing today. Um, I don't think that is the right way to go about it. 
But even if you want to think long-term, actually doing this, that is still very hard. So I think there are tools missing to be able to do this. You have systems thinking tools for sure. You have um, your North Star or your 20 or 30 years ahead plan. But really a tool that helps you explore the impact of your innovation over a long period of time, the potential, that is, I think that is missing. Probably because it's really hard. Would you say that for the next, for the green sprint for the company, is that the next phase, the next evolutionary phase? Do you see design sprints and the work you do with that process going into system design so that you have a holistic kind of approach to the entire build around something that's meaningful or that's going to evoke some change? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that is mainly just because Pamela and I can't help it. That's just the way we think. Uh, that is how our conversations go. So, I mean, originally our idea was to try to first um, try out the design sprint as it is, the original one, um, and apply it to sustainability issues and then take it from there, take on learnings. We managed to keep it like that for around three hours. And then we're like, nope, this has to change and this has to change and this has to add. And um, we need to take a more holistic approach and systems thinking should be in it and this should be in it. So by now, uh, it doesn't really look any, no, it doesn't look much like how it was at the beginning. Um, so yeah, for me, the most important thing is just sort of have a whole um, range toolbox of potential tools and then you can just make a sequence out of them uh, and whether depending on who are you working with um, you can make this as holistic as they can handle because let's be fair it is not always the best idea to, com to go completely holistic straight away for some companies and um, some individuals and some innovation processes you need to take that step by step and build towards that and don't take the leap straight away because you will lose people then. And speaking of thinking from before, what do you think is the difference between creative thinking and lateral thinking? <laughs> Interesting. Um, creative thinking for me is uh, a bit freer um, and lateral thinking is really consciously trying to find a different way to approach a certain problem or to think about a certain topic so the more like the more you think in this in a similar way there are sort of like the same when you keep walking in a, um, on sand the more you walk on it the deeper the track goes and the deeper the track is the harder it is to get out of it and for me lateral thinking is finding ways to get out of the track or even just not starting on the track but just starting from a completely different direction and really tr trying to break out of this way of thinking, trying to break out of your habits, sort of hacking your brain to see and approach things differently. Where creative thinking can be consciously that strong, uh, but it can, also, it can also not have anything to do with lateral thinking. Um, you can think in the same direction and think creatively, but for me, I think, and for the green spirit, lateral thinking is very important because actually like, Einstein said it, we can't, we can't solve problems by using the same kind of thinking that we use to create them. 
And for me, that is what lateral thinking is. So would you say creative thinking has more of a speculative aspect to it, whereas lateral thinking has more of an execution-based kind of approach to it? I think creative thinking is broader. Lateral thinking is one of the can be one of the elements or one of the aspects of creative thinking. Um, lateral thinking is more consciously, more exe- yeah, more executing. For me, it's more problem oriented, or um, yeah, it's more problem oriented. Where creative thinking, creative thinking is so broad; it has such a wide range of. Yeah, of, of things that you have big C creativity, small C creativity. You have the Picassos of today. Um, I mean, he taught. Um, but you also have people who um, solve small daily problems by thinking creatively. Um, so, yeah, that might be more speculative. speculative. Messed up that word. That's okay. There's lots of post-editing that can be done, so we're good. You're going to sound like a like a five-star professor at the end of this, or as the, as you said, a stability professor. You know? <laughs> Lateral thinking reminds me a lot of pretotyping. Uh, what's your take on that approach of testing the market for ideas and seeing what people's reactions are? Mm-hmm. I, um, I tried out the pretotyping uh, process actually for uh, the first time a couple of weeks ago in the GPDS. Um, that was also the first time I read the prototyping book. Um, I've always been more involved in um, either just prototyping or exploring uh, and doing market research in a different way. I kind of like the prototyping experience, especially the, the building this very small signals where with really tiny uh, experiments, you can test out what works and what doesn't work. And if actually if people even people are even remotely interested in a product like this. And um, I think it saves a lot of it saves a lot of time and valuable resources. Um, and really it's really interesting to find that right timing. Uh, and the right timing is very important absolutely for building and launching products and services in many ways. Although when it comes to sustainable solutions it sort of just is the right time right now. Uh, that is maybe <laughs> wishful thinking. Uh, and I know that sometimes when it comes to sustainability, I'm kind of ahead of the herd and uh, a lot of people are not there yet um, or don't want to be there yet. Um, but with implementing sustainable solutions, if we come up with a sustainable solution at the moment that works, uh, there can be many reasons why it doesn't work and why it cannot be implemented, but not being the right timing seems highly unlikely to me. I mean, we basically have nine years to make this transition happen. You know, funny enough, you said attend ahead of the herd and normally the phrase is ahead of the curve, but I think I'm going to adopt that one. <laughs> I've never heard it before ahead of the herd. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds much better. Because in Dutch it is. It is ahead of the herd. Like if you translate it, uh, I think, yeah, for the good outlook. So ahead of the herd, yeah. That works too. You're the dog basically steering all of the rest of the cattle in a certain direction. Yeah. Yeah. 
So if people want to find out more about what you do, what your company's all about, where would you lead them online? Uh, I think the, main, the best place is to just go to the, the, the Green Sprint uh, company page, uh, which is just uh, thegreensprint.com. Uh, the most active we are is on uh, LinkedIn um, because that is just the best way to communicate and start discussions. And um, yeah, we are we are very active there because we like um, yeah we like to get everyone into into this discussion and into our thought process as well. And there is no point um, in only sending out information. So that's the beauty of a platform like that. So either LinkedIn or our company page would work the best. Any other social networks you'd like to mention that you're on? Mm, I would stick to those. Yeah. I mean, you can always, uh, stop or say social network, but you can always um, look up our sustainability sessions on either Meetup or Eventbrite. We organize sustainability sessions every fourth Tuesday of the month, and they're always focused on a topic around sustainability. We interview a sustainability professional or sustainable entrepreneur, impact entrepreneur. And then in the second half of the session, we explore um, an interactive creative thinking tool, innovation tool. Um, and we apply that to the topic we've been talking about. So we've done, for example, like systems thinking, a life cycle analysis, storyboarding, focus on impact, kind of explore all the facets of uh, sustainable development. So what do you have coming up in December then? Yeah, we have one in December coming up indeed. And it's going to be about uh, circular economy and Christmas. Because uh, Christmas is the time of the year where we buy way too much that we do not need. Uh, and tapping into the circular economy in that time of the year could definitely make huge impact. We ran a design sprint in the previous GBDS about Christmas consumerism. And what they actually did was a add-on that was a browser add-on that would tell you more sustainable choices that you can make for gifts. Oh, wow. I like that. Yeah. I always look it up myself as well. Actually, for the first couple of years that I, I started to be, become this uh, sustainability enthusiastic, I, when, I, when it was my birthday, I asked my friends, I actually said, like, no stupid gifts. I don't want useless. I don't want useless gifts. Like you can give me a gift, but it's like either make it sustainable or make it useful. Um, no pointless consumerism. And they actually all ended up giving me a card with money because they were like, "We don't know. It's so hard." Like I know, I know it's hard. It's possible though. But it's hard. Gift cards are the new commerce of Christmas or the holidays. Yeah, they're so unpersonal. I prefer making something for someone, either baking something or painting something. Or um, I love giving experiences. I but I've always done this from since I was a kid, because I was like, what is the point of me giving my parents just a present? It's way more fun to give them a day with me, new, and then we go explore something. Yeah. Also more fun for them to have some quality time. So I would definitely say, frame it in the right way, and people will understand that. Sustainable living is a great way of, of having a more centered and more um, a happier and more connected life. Well, Minio, thank you very much for the conversation. It was really interesting to talk to you about sustainability, creative thinking, human-centered innovation, all the topics we, we uh, 
we covered and hopefully I'll be talking to you very soon. Perfect. Yes. Thank you. It was definitely very interesting. If you'd like to catch Minu's session on circularity and consumerism, a Christmas special, it's going to be a sustainability session she'll be holding on Tuesday, December 22nd at 7.30 p.m. European time, which translates into 12.30 over here Central Time. If you're interested, just check the show notes and the Eventbrite link will be there. Until then, I hope you and yours have a very wonderful holiday season. It's very relaxing and it's safe. Thank you so much for your support this year for the Dallas Design Sprints podcast, and we'll see you in 2021. Take care.